The question is, if there is no randomness and there is no time, how do you explain causation, the appearance of causation? Now, if I get up right now and walk out of this room, get in my car and drive home, who's causing all this? Now that's time for another podcast. Welcome to the QR Lab. My name's Kuldeep Tagore, and I'm here with Amr Zeki. Hello, hello. We uh, left off last time at a pretty interesting point where I think we wanted to pick up. We wanted to continue from there, and we were discussing causation, basically. So I've had a little bit of opportunity to fresh up on some of these topics, but, you know, essentially, let's, let's pick it up from there, because I think that's a good place. Sure. <clears throat> Please go ahead. Well, you know, basically, so let's, uh, you know, let's just bring up David Hume and how he present. No, not David Hume. <laughs> I think it might be easier if we pick up where we la last left off. Oh, okay, go. From the podcast, which if I recall correctly, was something about um, there is the appearance of causation, right? Things appear to have a cause. Um, and the question is, is that perception real and correct? And if it is... Okay, well, I mean, see, that's exactly the thing. I mean, that's exactly what Hume was talking about, is that it is only the perception or the appearance that there was a cause. Okay, I, I don't... I have not read all of Hume's works. I'm not a philosopher. At least, I'm not a professional academic philosopher. I have my Me own either. thoughts, <clears throat> right? I mean, I've read some philosophers, right, over the years here and there, some more than others. I think what Hume is talking about, based on my limited understanding, is that they, there appears to be a cause acutely, right? All we can see is the effect. Right. You see the effect, but you don't really understand all the causes antecedent right. to that. So we, we say, oh, well, that thing, you know, if, we, if you throw a baseball at a window, it should break every time, you know, or at least damage the window or at least cause some sort of, you know, that's what you would expect. Okay. Event I, event occurs, and then a subsequent event occurs. May, may, may I? May we I, link those two. May I create some definitions to help us yes. and, and the audience kind of focus on this? So the way I think about it is there is a cause, A, that you can identify, and then there is a effect, you know, cause A goes to effect B, let's say. Now that cause-effect system or dyad well, let's call that an event, right? So one of the interesting examples, if I may share with you, like you said, someone throwing you know, a rock which breaks a window. So one thing in causality that I think we didn't really talk about last time is that something has to be, at least what philosophers have articulated, something has to be both necessary and sufficient for it to be a true cause. Now, I've sort of elaborated on this on my own, and we'll, we'll kind of get back to this, but... For example, if I take a seed, is a seed necessary and sufficient to make a tree? Usually, yes. No, because a seed is necessary, but it's not sufficient. You need water, you need sunlight, okay, okay, you need yeah. fertilizer. So the <laughs> but it's still required as it's part necessary, of the process. It's right? necessary, right? So a seed is necessary, but it's not sufficient to cause a tree. What you need is the environment plus the seed to make a tree, right? Right. So... That's a sort of a classic example. Now, if you go to the example of somebody throwing a rock which hits a window, the question is, is the stone or the rock 
necessary and sufficient to break the window. Well, I mean, you could argue, well, you don't need a rock. You could use instead a baseball instead of a rock. doesn't matter. Just <coughs> in that example, using the analogy of a seed, is that necessary and sufficient? I would say no, again, because, you know, you you would need to have somebody who could propel that rock hard enough precisely. to make it. Precisely. Yeah. That is precisely correct. So what you end up identifying is that there is kind of a dyad, that there is a person or a machine that has to hold the rock, propel it as a projectile, then that goes and breaks the window. So... The, for that to be a cause, to be necessary and sufficient, you need a person or, an, or a machine throwing the rock, which then gives you the effect of the broken window. That's a single event, right? But then you can ask another question, and this is what other philosophers who've covered causality, which is the majority of philosophical histories about causality, then you can ask the question, well, what is the cause of the rock? What is the cause of the person? Now, did their arm throw it, or did they throw it? And if it's their arm, yeah. was it their muscles that threw it? What activated the muscles? Is it the energy from the food that they ate? Where did that come from? Well, that came from planet Earth and the sunlight. That's where they got their energy. So is it the sun that's responsible for, ultimately responsible? So there's an idea of proximate cause or apparent cause. Then there's the idea of true cause. And you saw my um, that lecture I sent you by uh, Russell uh, Acoff. Correct. And he talked about this idea as well, and he sort of independently said this thing on his own, which is ultimately all causes go back to the beginning independent, the independent cause or the beginning cause, which has no cause itself. And we happen to call that God. That's what he was saying. Or a creator, which set all causes in motion. And perhaps this is what Hume was getting at. I'm not sure. Again, I'm not an academic philosopher. But the problem that becomes apparent is when you go back and look at all the events, which will remember events are cause and effect, you know, systems or dyads, everything that is a cause or an effect, excuse me, has an antecedent cause. And the effect that you see becomes a cause of something else. So for example, when the window breaks, that becomes the cause for rain getting inside and making your house wet. Or wind coming in and blowing all your papers off the right, desk. Right, but then what caused the rain? No, right. Okay. So you can keep going that there are all these surrounding events that are occurring that result in maybe a variety of different events, a variety of different... And, and as you said, you, you can't guarantee the event, right? Like, you could throw the rock, and this time it didn't break the window. It just bounced off. Maybe it was the angle that it was thrown, etc. right? So there's this issue of... Every single variable that takes in, but I, I, I guess so. Dial it, dial it to its source, which we talked about last time. Which there's, there was some. So would that be the Big Bang? That's the initial cause. I concluded in my own thinking, um, and and I would love to see what others think. Is the cause for everything goes back to the beginning of the universe that you can trace back every cause. To the beginning. If I right now took this pen that I'm holding in my hand and I tossed it to the floor, okay, I can trace the cause of that all the way back to the moment of creation. Because you can just use your, you know, rational mind and, and say, well, um, I threw it. My muscles needed the energy that come from the food that came from eating plants and animal, you know, uh, matter, which ultimately comes, the energy comes from the sun. Well, the sun, that means, that means basically without the solar system, I would not be able to throw it. Right. Right. I need a body, right? That body comes from accumulated material from eating food, etc. But then where did the sun come from? Well, the sun came from 
all the gases accumulating, forming the solar system, and then with gravitation being high enough, you know, you and then you take it all the way back to the beginning. So it, it creates a real interesting situation where you start to wonder, who is the agent behind any given cause? And then it raises other problems. It raises issues with time, randomness, free will, right? Conscious agency, determinism. It, it raises, I think the most interesting and biggest philosophical question is causation. What is causality? And when you when you really look at it carefully, it has tendrils and connections to all these major big questions in terms of the meaning of life and philosophy. It's really it's really a deep problem. So I I want to just think this through for a second. That okay, say I am a I just think that it was all science that made everything happen. Okay, that there are just principles that govern the universe. Yes, they're they are variable. They may not apply in some localities versus other localities. But essentially what happened was there was a Big Bang. I'm going to take that. At, that is the one thing all scientists, even if you are, no matter what, you have to take that one thing on faith, that there was this thing called the Big Bang, which started all this and set things in motion. But everything after that sort of happened. Well, not sort of. Happened. There, there, was, this, there was this initial event, but then everything else is sort of just falling into place it's it just so happens that that because of the laws of the universe the way that they're set and that we're trying to understand through science that you know mass uh, debris formed big spherical structures that ended up creating solar systems galaxies uh, you know okay so why is it absolutely necessary to believe that there is something that is guiding that why couldn't it just be happening because of the initial event that set this off, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily have to believe that that every event that's happening is happening through some sort of. We we called it last time we were on the uh, the air. We called it um, an information field, or and then you know in our own private discussions we talked about um, you know guys like Rupert Sheldrake. I, I, I'm sorry if I is that yeah talking R- Rupert about Sheldrick, Mo- yeah. Rupert, Rupert Sheldrake Rupert Sheldrake discussing things like morphogenic fields very <clears throat> another maybe podcast for another time but um, d- why does it why does it have to be I think that uh, sorry why does it have to be there there's something information maybe there is okay but whether there is intention behind it I I I still think that that is not fully explained or answered or concretely you can't come to the only deduction that. It must be. Now, while I may have my own beliefs about this, I'm just taking on this counterpoint to see, you know, where this discussion could go. It's a very, it's a very important uh, point and observation. So <clears throat> I think one has to look at it kind of step by step and carefully, and each person really has to do this for themselves, which is the things that we call laws or um, certain uh, theories or equations that we know are useful and predictive. It turns out there's a couple of layers to this. I'll say the first layer is that physicists have told us that not all the laws are, like you said, applicable at every moment in the universe from the Big Bang until now. In fact, a lot of the laws break down. Like, for example, our laws that we know are uh, from physics break down yeah, in I mean, the, the center of a black hole. We, we no longer even right. think of gravity the same way that Newton right. described it. Th- th- I, we, now no, we understand gravity completely differently. There's no <laughs> physics understanding of what happens in a black hole. And also, it, during that, like, and again, I'm not a physicist, but from the little that I know, that hyperinflationary period, there are um, periods along the timeline of when, when the Big Bang happened and all this literally 
like it was a soup of not even a neutron uh, or a nucleus could exist by itself. It was sort of like they called it like a quantum uh, plasma, basically, where everything was all mixed in. The, the laws of the universe, to my understanding, don't even apply then. It only happens when you get to a certain point where the universe is mature enough that there is patterns and regularities in the behavior of things that happen in the universe that we look at, and after many years of experimentation, we say, you know, we see a pattern that is repeatable, that is mathematically described, that when we apply it, we can make predictions that are, are reliable. So we call that a theory that then becomes a law. But the constraints on that are tremendous, right? It's all, it's conditional and provisional and contingent, right? And so during the current state of our universe, all that we understand, the, 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 what we call laws, they're not really laws. They're basically like, as Rupert Sheldrake actually describes, like the universe has certain habits or certain uh, patterns and regularities that we say, okay, um, the, you know, E equals MC squared. And, and that's reliable because it's predictive. The other layer to this is that when you ask the question, um, let's say there, there is a law, right? There is some, some law. Why does the universe have a particular behavior? Why that and not that? That's a very important, subtle question. So it, it, the answer is it just because, <laughs> right. because it is. <laughs> so we say just because, because we, we really don't have the um, a sort of clear reasoning on this, right? But what I would say is the fact that the laws take a certain shape and form, that they take a particular direction, suggests that there is a reason. And remember, if you agree there is no randomness, that means things are not happening randomly. That means there is there's causation behind why that particular regularity is happening. Okay, but but I'm definitely taking on the point that there is randomness. I mean, I'm taking that. Well, remember, remember, previously we discussed that randomness is real in terms of earthbound time space. That there's a mathematical reality where randomness exists. Right. And however, in fundamental if, reality, if you put thirty monkeys in a room with typewriters, they would ultimately be able to produce the complete works of Shakespeare just by banging maybe. I don't think there's enough time in the universe to actually do that, but that's another argument. I I made the argument that and others have made the argument that there really is no such thing as chance or randomness when you look at it fundamentally. And we discussed that on the previous podcast. Right. If you accept that, right? So things are predicated on certain things. If you accept that if we hit the pool table and the ball goes in, in an apparent random direction, but we actually accounted for all the variables, I can hit that ball every time and make it go exactly where I want it because I understand all causation for that thing. I understand all the variables that made the ball go in that direction, right? So if that is possible, then fundamentally, if I had the right technology, fundamentally there is no randomness. I can understand the cause for, for essentially anything. Now, if that is the case, all right, whether or not you want to fully believe that, but if that is the case, that there is essentially no randomness, and you're looking at the universe and you're observing patterns and regularities that ultimately result in a mathematical uh, formula that we can apply in the world of physics, then that raises an important question. If there's no randomness and things are taking a particular direction, a particular um, uh, uh, regularity that we, we call laws, and if there's no randomness, that means something is, there's intent. There's something making you go in this direction. There's a causal chain 
making that pattern appear rather than that pattern. So you I see I, my point. I, I I do see it, but I think that intention only arises with consciousness, right? We're talking about events that maybe are not born Big Bang, maybe not born out of consciousness. I don't I don't know. I'm just saying. Correct. There was a Big Bang. I'm taking that part at faith, but sure. then everything after that happened according to that initial okay. event. That's very and, good. And took what would be seemingly random. Like, oh, that just randomly, we just formed human beings? Well, yeah, it took like 13 billion years to happen. But there's a paradox with what you just said. Mm -hmm. How can you not have intent in causation if there's no randomness? It's it's impossible to conceive. But isn't intent only created by people with, like, you know what I mean? Like, Well, well t t t go a step uh, back. Let, let's, let's say that this initial event just happened. It just happened. Right, wait, but, but go step back, go a little bit slower down. Let's go a little bit more carefully. You have an observation of an event that happened, right? The Big Bang and then all the subsequent factors. If there is no randomness and there is a cause for that Big Bang, let's say. Maybe you don't know the cause, but let's say there, there, is, there is a cause. And then there is a chain of causes and events, right? A cause leads to an effect. We call that an event. And a, and a panoply of complex events that then arose out of that. For example, you have a biological body or a suit that you're inhabiting. I have that. We're sitting in a, in a house right now. We drive cars. There's all these things made of matter, right? All, layers and layers and layers of complexity. So the question arises, if there is no fundamentally no randomness, right, then how is it that we have things happening in a particular direction and not some other direction? It, it would, just by sort of rational reflection, it would seem that there is something making it choose this rather than that. That just seems to be the case. It seems like that, but that's because we're designed to find patterns. We're designed to think, oh, there has to be an explanation. There has to, We're seeing the pattern and trying to say, it's going in this particular direction. But when in fact, it may not a thousand years from now, it might be going in a completely other direction. And at that point, you might be saying, ah, but that was intended. That was So it, it becomes like, you know, you're kind of explaining it through a... It's it's, it's a very difficult circular argument, I, I feel like. I, I don't think so. I, the, the way I look let, at let, it... Let's take away the yeah. assumption, just for the sake of the discussion. Let's take away the assumption that there is no randomness. There is no randomness, correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying like, <laughs> no, I'm saying there is randomness, that things do just happen purely, like, for example, the the Big Bang. I believe that was completely just a random, well, randomness, it, just, it just so happened. It's a linchpin. That's a critical thing to, to straighten out, because if you... Because it's like the cue ball. Once once, once the cue ball hits, all those, those other, um, I'm sorry, nine balls? How many other? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you have essentially what is... It is random what happens after that. I think we've dispensed with randomness, and, and, and here's the reason why. If you accept that, you see, let's say you see a supernova, right? And and you say, gosh, a thousand years ago, people look at that and they say, my goodness, it's some kind of religious experience because they have no idea what that is, right? Maybe a thousand years later, you have telescopes and you understand, okay, that is a star dying, but you still can't predict why it showed up in the sky at that moment in time, in that moment in space, right? But let's say you fast forward another 100 years, and your understanding of astrophysics or, uh, um, um, it, you know, cosmic, uh, uh, let's say, 
advance is so advanced that you actually can predict supernovas. Let's just say, for example, and maybe they can do it now. I have no idea. Then what appeared to be a random effect, once the causal chain for that uh, event is understood, it's no, it's no longer random. You understand the things that are causing it, and and that actually applies to everything that we see. Well, but it's also because you we are uniquely defined by a necessity to find meaning in things. We we ask what is the meaning. We Correct. are even having this discussion. We're looking for meaning. We're looking for. But but that's a separate point. It it doesn't it, it doesn't is it though because maybe yeah. that's part of the reason why you can't appreciate randomness. That no. For, for, or or that the, all the events that occurred. I, I don't occurred. see it that way because to me it's right. It's, no, it's, I know you don't. I mean, it's but, it's, but that's it's, that's why we're having the discussion. No, no, I think it's a it's a completely unrelated point the way the way I'm seeing it because if if I can explain what happens to a billiard table or the way I'm flipping a coin. There's no randomness. I understand every... In fact, I can make it do that every time. There is no randomness. There, there's no argument that basically shows that randomness is fundamental. That I have not seen it or heard it. Because if, if I cannot explain... If I can't think of a scenario where I can explain any event in its direct, exact causal chain, then yes, there is randomness. But there is nothing that I can think of that doesn't have that explanation. So I, I, I think the, so I understand it comes down to how we see things, sounds like, right? But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that, again, going back to the very common, um, you know, example that people throw out that statistically possible for 30 monkeys in a room with typewriters to type out Shakespeare's entire complete works in its perfect entirety. Is that true? What is that based on? That's statistically. Could it happen? Could they randomly get in a? This is an exercise, so, obviously. So, so it's, the, it's very commonly discussed, the, the, right? That, that, well, it, that there is that you could find statistically a probability. I don't, I don't know. No, mathematically, yes, you can. Mathematically, yes, I, you I can. don't. I have you to would examine do is, it. You, this look, is hearsay. For me, I can't talk about this until I've examined. Then it examine because, it. Examine this idea. Let me let me flesh it yeah. out for you. That there is a statistical probability that the most incredibly random well like you know again seemingly random things could happen for example you know just by throwing my pen against a wall um over and over again over and over again that somehow i would be able to create the mona lisa <laughs> okay, I went great very, example i went i went very ridiculous on that no but, but your point deliberately but your though, point is good your point is good so the, the point is just that we actually do have and again you might dismiss this outright right. but just saying that there is a there there are mathematical statistical formulas that will tell you uh yeah the probability that 30 monkeys in a room with typewriters could type out Shakespeare's complete works in this sequence, and maybe it's one in hundred. Okay, can I ask a question? Probably, can I ask a question? But, but like they say in Dumb and Dumber, what you're saying is there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Great scene, but can I ask a question as a follow up to that? Because I've heard this argument many times. We're just we're, this is the lab, so, man. This so is the lab, baby. So, so here's a question: If that is true, what I would want to know is how much time would that take? Because the universe may well, not we, be old we, enough we, for we that to happen. We talked that there's no really. Let's see, that's the thing. There's no time. Then okay, if there's no time and all there is is space, so you just give. No, it hold on, hold on. You said there's no time, so so let's let's apply the argument. If there's no time, then how are the monkeys doing all this typing? What is actually happening? It's just space being recreated. Correct. Right? So how are they? 
and, and and if there's no randomness, that means they're they're actually typing things with intent. If there's no randomness, well, we're we're assuming monkeys, right? Don't have the conscious capability of knowing X versus T versus <laughs> right. U versus V. <laughs> so, the the problem that you have is if there's no time and there's no randomness, space is moving and and create being created in a causal link and chain. The question becomes why. This is this is a very serious problem because. Well, see, so the the why piece is something we're always going to ask, right? So, but but what I'm saying is, when you ask why, or how, but when you ask why, what are you doing? You're doing exactly what I just said. You're you are designed to find meaning, and so in doing so, your brain is going to be biased in trying to say, well, there must be something guiding this. There must be something that's putting us into this pattern. That's putting us into this direction. That's causing us to go this way. Because look. You know, and you've made this argument before too, is when you look at a statue, nobody says, oh yeah, that was just because, you know, rain hit the side of this mountain and <laughs> ultimately managed to create the statue of David. It was just completely random. No, there was a creator. That right, did this, right, right. But, but what I'm alluding to here a little bit is that it's human beings that are giving us, that it, it is us that are creating this need to have a creator. When in fact, could, I'm just, again, right? We're just, we're in the lab. So, could it be that it was just um, erosion and time and wind and and air and um, excuse me and uh, rain that ultimately made this statue in the side of the mountain? I would say absolutely not, because it, it actually violates your basic sensibility. The, the, on top of okay, logic, so so now the argument is kind of hanging from a thin thread. It's hanging it's from the thread. No, no, no. It's, it's hanging from the thread of you just said. No, your no, no. Sensibility. But, but sensibility is is your intuitive mind looking at the holistic picture and the rational okay. mind. Okay, so th this there, is there's a, no this is, there's this, no way I don't think. In my in my own analysis, I don't see how I don't see how rain and wind could. And by the way, you can look at nature. Just like, because you've never seen it doesn't mean it can't happen, and doesn't mean it won't happen. Okay, the Earth is four point nine billion years old, or four billion. Excuse me, three point nine to four billion years old. Correct. Show me over four billion years a statue that was made by Earth. You I don't need, have it. I need 13 billion years to do yeah. that. <laughs> I need some more time. That's right. But I just said time doesn't exist, but it's a space reorganizing well, itself. Ultimately, yeah. through random measures, it will just happen. There's no randomness. <laughs> just because you say it, right, doesn't mean no, it's No, we, so. we've dispensed with it. We've already discussed it. I, I, I'm just... That is kind of the whole point of this, I, is that I wanted to come circle back to this idea that there is no randomness because... I, I think that what we are discussing <laughs> is very clearly that that it could be. It's it's very interesting. It's an interesting it, yes, discussion it, because yeah. clearly it it all makes. Now here's another problem. I'd I'd like to uh, yeah, but, you know, poke holes in this because again, like yeah. I I'm taking on a position that's very actually hard for me to do. It, it's a harder position to take because it's, I don't inherently believe that. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I have my own personal beliefs. Well, let's hear it. I, you know, obviously I do believe in a creator. I do believe yeah. that there is guiding force. I've seen it over and over again in my life. And what's interesting is that you are now, we're kind of getting into this concept of intuitive knowledge, a priori, something I just know it is because it is. I was actually talking to my son about this the other day. I was asking him, why do you think it is that kids, babies, like under the age of three, all of them universally are afraid of wolves? Or, or, or spiders or snakes or something threatening why why don't they look at those things like the adams family would and be like oh that's awesome right like it's not a curiosity anymore but they, but but it's almost yeah. it, it's it's 
I, I would consider knowledge. this to yeah. be a priority. Yeah. It's intuitive. It's just there. But is it part of our programming? Is it part of our evolutionary programming that got us to this point? It, maybe there's nothing... Okay, we call it a priority, but maybe there's nothing really special about it. It's just the way we've been, you know, it's our our operating software. Um, you asked about consciousness earlier, right? And we didn't really kind of get into that, but there was there was kind of a paradox that um, that I encountered, and it kind of made me wonder about something that is really from neuroscience. I think it impacts neuroscience. Um, should we should we cover this and change gears a little bit because it it's kind of it's kind of related to what we discussed, but it's a little bit different. Let's enhance the discussion. Let's go. Yeah, Let's throw and, it in there. And I really want to hear what you truly think about this because we we actually had this discussion, and I mentioned this to a couple of my colleagues in the uh, in the scientific realm, you know, in the lab, who are very. Um, you know, they, they've kind of considered these kind of complex ideas, but I don't know how this came to me, but I was thinking I was thinking about the physiological function of the brain, right? Our, our brains clearly have physiological functions. Neurons are doing things. They're firing. We can measure it with functional MRI. We can measure the electrical, you know, discharges. Uh, we understand neuroanatomy to, to a great degree. And then I had this thought, <clears throat> which is, Is it possible that the material or the physical functioning of the brain gives rise to imagination and conscious thought? Because that's what the typical materialist scientist or most scientists would argue. In fact, for 100 years now, people have been looking for an explanation for how the brain creates consciousness, and there's been zero explanation, right? And this is where Donald Hoffman and other people come in, and they've done work on this. So... But, but I thought about this a little bit differently, and I really want to hear your thoughts on this, okay? Which is, and this is predicated on a, on a single idea, which is this. Do you think that you could sit here and think and imagine things without limit? Meaning, if I told you, sit for an hour, imagine whatever you want, and I had this kind of magical camera that actually filmed your thoughts, or I said sit for eight hours, or I said sit for a year, or I said sit for 50 years, and my only question for you is imagine whatever you want. It, it can be whatever you want. Do you think there'd be a limit to how much you would imagine? Would there be an end to what you could imagine? Okay, just for the sake of this, I'm going to say yes, there is a limit. You think there's a limit to your imagination? <laughs> I hate to directly... Uh, contradict Einstein, who said that uh, there is no limit to the imagination. Well, what does it intuitively feel like? Do you, do you really think there's a limit to your imagination? And if so, what is that limit? Why, what, why is there a limit? Because I don't think... Okay, like, think, I, it's, it's a very interesting idea, but there's... Okay, so imagination is only kind of built upon what we know. Even when we imagine something, we still imagine it in the construct of what we already know. But you just you just mentioned the child with the wolf with implicit implicit knowledge. There may be deeper states of consciousness, right? Carl Jung talked about this. There is stuff in the subconscious mind you have no idea. Even if there are deeper levels that we haven't eventually you're going to run out because you don't know everything. You haven't looked at even the backside of Mars. But it's not about just knowledge. It's about imagination. It's what you create with your mind. 
No, 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 no. no. Okay, Here's the question. Because you could have so many permutations of what you create. Exactly. So the question is, what you create doesn't always have to be based on what you know. The, the mind will spontaneously come up with the craziest things. That's... Like the guy who developed PCR. He had a dream about it. No one would have figured out PCR if, if this guy... I forgot the guy's name. Anyway. This polymerase chain reaction. Now, the argument actually can be looked at with both answers. So if you answered no, that there is a limit, there's a discussion there, but let's for the moment, let's sure. say yes. let's say you say or somebody argues, you know, I don't think there is a limit to what I can imagine. Perhaps it's infinite, okay? You might use the word infinite. Now, now hold that thought for a moment. Let me ask you another question. From mathematical knowledge, can you get an infinite set or infinity out of finite sets of numbers? No. No, that's correct. Sorry, it took me so long. I mean, that, that, I mean that's what I, I'm not a mathematician, right. but that's what I think. Right. You cannot take a bunch of finite sets and add them up and get infinity. Correct. Infinity is its own state. It's its own state. Okay, yeah. so let's take these two thoughts and put them together. Is the, fun, is the neuronal functioning of the brain a finite activity, which is a, a bodily physiological function? Is it finite or infinite? Um, again, I would say it's finite. Exactly. Material. Your heart is finite. Your lungs are finite. Your brain's function is finite. It's in 3D space, right. right? We just agreed that your imagination can be limitless and infinite. And we also just agreed that a finite mathematical set, i.e. your brain, cannot produce an infinite activity. Do you see where this is going? I, I do. So how could a brain that is finite and physiologic create an infinite imaginary state? So there must be something else the conclusion, beyond the materialistic... The conclusion for that is your brain is not creating consciousness. That's the conclusion of that argument. Consciousness is creating Consciousness is everything. first, right. and then you're, you're actually experiencing your brain inside consciousness, not the other way around. I feel inherent... Do you see that argument where it's going? Yeah, absolutely. I, inherently, yeah. I feel that is, it's such a sound... It's it feels right. It feels immutable. Right. Let me let me read from your. Well, it's just a you... it's just a figure. I mean, look at the figure here. You, you right. Can... So we we have a figure here uh, that basically biologically based mental activity is finite, and imagination is infinite. So, right, the finite cannot lead to the infinite. Right. Whereas the biologically based mental activity cannot right. lead to. You know. And it's mathematically true as well. Right. Now, the counter-argument, which what you were saying initially, the counter-argument is that, well, what if it's pseudo-infinite, your imagination? What if, in the limitations of it you... It seems... It seems... Infinite. That's a viable counter-argument. Yeah. Why? Because I acknowledge we are limited beings, and that I do not have, and you don't have, and no per person ever created has the full vision, the full understanding, and the full story on what's going on in reality. Hence the QR lab. So if somebody came to me who reasonably thought about this and said, you know, I see your argument. It's very strong that if you just believe this simple argument that you could immediately see how imagination and thought cannot come from the finite activity of the brain, especially if it's limitless what I can think about. Cannot only come. Right. Yeah. But if somebody might come and say, are you sure that if I let you live a thousand years and for that entire time you had limitless imagination that you wouldn't start reimagining the same things over and over again and that you wouldn't hit some limit? That's a tough one. That's a very tough one because that actually is the crux of the argument to show that 
consciousness is not rooted in the brain. So if you can't refute the fact that it's pseudo-infinite or, or seems to be infinite, you can't totally prove that consciousness is the primary. Now, having said that, that's a fair thing to say, which is the counter-argument. Having said that, Donald Hoffman's work almost completely refutes the fact that his probabilistic, from his experiments, right. the fact that you're experiencing reality for what it actually is, is 0%. It's so funny because I'm, I was using probability earlier in this discussion to try to show you that, yeah, anything could happen. It could just be complete. And then along comes evolutionary game theory and right. Donald Hoffman, and now they're showing us that uh, actually, if we act- if we do this work and right. we create these models, create right. these algorithms and take it to its all the way through its mathematical intent and its right. conclusion, we're finding that the chance that we are observing the primary reality is zero. Correct. Which is really shocking. Now, here's another thing I want to get back to what you said earlier, if I may kind of link it, if that's all right. You were talking about, you know, monkeys sitting in a room. And I really, I'm going to look into this. I'm actually going to look at the mathematical calculation to see if there's enough time there, in the I universe. I think there may be one. I'm should... sure there is, but but there's a there's a reason. There is another. Uh, there's another. Um, um, there's another. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my. It's okay. The, uh, there's another kind of similar argument that I, I remember reading this in in a. Um, I don't remember which book it was. I did not look at the primary literature on this, but I remember reading this by a scientist. He's a PhD scientist. I think it could have been. Rupert Sheldrake or or somebody else. But here's a very interesting thing that was done by chemists. So the idea that things just randomly kind of, you know, like let's say the formation of a protein, right, which is a, a series of, of amino acids that form a peptide, and then the peptide, when it gets long enough, it starts to form a tertiary and a quaternary structure, right? Right. Now, for a peptide or a protein to fold in on itself and to form these tertiary in particular quaternary structures has to do with, you know, hydrogen, you know, van der Waals interactions and and non-ionic bonds. And that's actually predicated in part not only on the thermodynamics and the electron clouds that are there, which are quantum, but it's also the angle of how the carbon is connected to the nitrogen is and, and how the um, hydrogen is connected. It turns out that to get the quaternary structure right, the permutations of the number of angles that have to be tried for a simple protein would take longer than there is time in the universe, which is longer than 13 billion years old, meaning that the time it would take for a single protein to form by random permutations of those angles is longer than the universe has been around. That's an actual chemical calculation that people have made, which goes towards the argument that this stuff didn't happen by just random movement. There is not enough time in the universe to form a single protein's quaternary structure, right? This is a counter argument to the monkeys. Now, the weakness of what I just said is I have not read the primary organic chemistry literature and I'll search for it and find it to really get solid on this. But the argument this scientist was making was really quite shocking that if that is true, if these calculations about the angles to achieve a quaternary functional structure. Now, the reason that's important is a quaternary functional structure of a protein is what makes it enzymatically active. Anything denatured beyond that, it will not function. So the full functional protein for it to achieve that structure takes longer by just random connection than there is time in the universe. If that is the case, holy moly. Shocking. Uh, That was just the hammer just got dropped on the whole... (laughs) 
<laughs> argument I was making, right? I mean, I'm just saying this yeah. is information that no, I've encountered. This is, this is great. This is good stuff. And I, I think on this note, until next time, my friends, we will continue these discussions. Hope you're enjoying them. Um, All right. Good talking to you. Catch you next time. Adios, amigos. to emphasize that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely our own, and they do not reflect the official policies or positions of our employers and places of employment or any of their affiliates. Additionally, our discussions on this podcast should not be considered professional advice or endorsements of any particular organizations, products, or individuals. We're here to share our thoughts and stimulate conversation, but we encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions.